namo tassa bhagavato arahato samha sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samha sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samha sambuddhassa purdhangamam sanghannamasam Happy New Year's evening, everyone. It's the last day of the decade of the teens, I guess. Huh? We'll look back in this time and we'll go, oh yeah, I remember back in the, the 20-something. What would we call it? I'm not quite sure. I know we're going to call it the next decade. It'll be the 20s. But this one, I'm not really sure. The teens, I guess. What's that? The teens. The teens, in here, the teens. The first decade's called the 2000s. So here we are. Another transition is coming upon us. This one, fortunately, is pretty easy to bear. It's just the calendar flipping over. And yet it is a... uh, it is a marker of the passage of time. It's uh, something that our culture pays attention to, even the always paid attention to, coming and going of the seasons and the days getting very short in the winter and then getting longer again. So here we are at the end of this year, beginning of another one. This is the time of year I used to get uh, uh, a little unbalanced, I think, when I was a layman. Uh, When I was really young, I would party a lot. Uh, Music and drinking mostly. But uh, when I grew older, I started to become sort of morose around this time of year. And, uh, and people would try to cheer me up, and that would make it worse. And my uh, feeling that I had was one of, of kind of something like despair at the seeming pointlessness and futility of yet another year gone by. Like uh, I was laboring under this question: What's What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Where am I going? Why, you know, why is it like this? And uh, what should I do differently going forward in the future? And then I don't know if any of those questions were particularly worth asking, actually. Maybe the one about what, how should we conduct ourselves or what, what would be worth doing in the future, and that's probably still a good one. But the other one's about why we're here. 
And they're kind of hard to answer, aren't they? Any answer that you come up with is mostly going to be uh, unsatisfactory because somebody else can argue with it, can say, no, that's not why we're here, or we're here for some other reason. So for me, the the usual (laughs) circular reasoning that went around trying to answer that question for myself, maybe decide to drink wine instead. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. <laughs> we're here to, to, to yeah, have some more cabernet. <laughs> but now that I'm a monk, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> but I do think I have a better answer to why we're here or what or what life is for. And. Um, of course, uh, I'm I'm kind of biased in my outlook. I, I think I have an answer. I'll share it with you. Uh, but of course, it's it's debatable. It's certainly not uh, the final answer, but maybe one that's a pretty good working answer. Something to start with. Why is it a bit of an open-ended way of putting it? But uh, maybe what's, what a human life is good for might be another way of. of And as long as we're unsatisfied with what what the answer to that question is, as long as we find the question either um, frustrating and compelling or um, kind of uh, too philosophical or stupid to ask, this may not be a useful answer, but nonetheless, um, there's something to the feeling of life's purposefulness, or, or maybe the sense that a, a human life is worth something. It should be used somehow. It's, it should be deployed in a way um, that's worthy, that's worthwhile, that's sensible, uh, that goes in a good direction. Uh, without worrying too much about the arrival at some destination, because we don't have enough control to actually make ourselves arrive at any particular destination. But setting it up so that we're going in a good direction, that's uh, that's at least a good start. Because if you're going in a good direction, uh, then you can always make course corrections if there's some worthy, uh, useful destination to arrive at it will almost certainly be along the same direction that you've already taken, since you're going in a good direction. So what's a good direction? Of course, a good direction is one which leads to a decrease in suffering, uh, less unhappiness, more politeness, more ease, more contentment, in a word, more happiness. And... This isn't the happiness of getting what you want. Of course, the, the Buddha talked about this extensively. It's the happiness of not being unhappy, basically. It's the happiness of, of feeling that things are okay, that you find your situation uh, acceptable and workable. You don't feel trapped or burdened by your life. So if you're not quite there yet, then the Buddha's 
pathway to arriving there is well worth pursuing. He pointed out that whatever it is that one regularly thinks about, ponders, considers, uh, habitually entertains in one's mind, that becomes the inclination of the mind. It's very obvious that that's true, it's very rational. But he's pointing it out because it's an important principle. When we entertain thoughts in our mind, views or opinions, uh, or we play back memories, or we uh, allow ourselves to go on various rants, or to dreamily think about fantasies, each one of those is a way of using the mind. And if we do any one of those, or any variety of those sorts of things, habitually, then we're training our mind, or inclining, setting our minds up to be inclined in those kinds of directions. So, for example, if we're habitually thinking thoughts of sensuality, uh, whenever we see something attractive, we, we linger on its attractiveness, and we, we, we wallow in the delightful aspects of it. We pay a close attention to every little nuance and detail of its attractiveness, whether it's a visual object or an audible object, whether it's an inanimate or animate object, whatever it is, what we're paying attention to is its delightful characteristics, its, its beauties and its pleasures. And it's not to say that those are that is somehow morally wrong, but, it, but if we're deriving the pleasure and happiness of our life from those kinds of engagements, <clears throat> then our mind is always going to be inclined to look towards that aspect of life. Pleasant feeling uh, for its sense of happiness. If we allow our minds to dwell on thoughts of bitterness, resentment, dislike, aversion, fear, hatred, despair, then, that, of course, that becomes the inclination of our mind. And naturally, whenever unexpected things come up, because that's the inclination of our mind, those will be the kinds of reactions that our mind will generate. So once you see this principle clearly, the possibility of changing the inclination of your mind is something that you might take up. So what inclinations would be worthwhile? Now, the Buddha talks about the inclinations towards wholesome mind states. He characterizes uh, those kinds of inclinations of mind which lead towards various forms of unsatisfactoriness or unhappiness. 
as being unwholesome. So uh, dwelling on sensuality is unwholesome because it inclines the mind towards sensuality and there's no resting place there. There's no happiness to be found ultimately in sensuality. The happiness of sensuality is fleeting and it requires constant renewal in order to sustain it. And it's not really under our control. And if we make our minds a slave to the happinesses of sensuality, uh, then we are indeed uh, victimized by our own mind. We become unable to experience happiness in the absence of sensual pleasure. And this is a, a regrettable state of affairs. Uh, I, I remember having something like this happen to me at one time. I was fairly young, probably in my mid-twenties or so. Um, portable audio players of various sorts were available, Walkmans. And I was listening to a lot of music. And uh, it seemed as though I had a, uh, a, need, like a need for a soundtrack for my life. You know, I needed to have like kind of uh, happy music in the morning and maybe uplifting music in the afternoon and sensuous music in the evening. And I needed all these different kinds of music to help me modulate in my moods and to make my life seem somehow more real and more more uh, impact, more impactful, more dramatic. Somehow, I had like a movie soundtrack for my my life. And uh, the amount of effort that it takes to find music that I was listening to, willing to listen to and to listen to it and have it playing in the background. Um, and in those periods of time when I couldn't have any music were painful. So I, I came to recognize that really the downside of this need for constant audible entertainment. And I think a lot of people are afflicted by this. Uh, right now there's a, a big, as we all know, a big uh, a prominent social phenomena of portable devices and people's uh, seeming addiction to them. Because the portable, portable device is capable of giving you all kinds of little tiny bursts of, of pleasure. Uh, social contact, people send you send you messages. Uh, you can watch movies on your portable device. You can listen to music on it. You can play games, video games. So the portable device is this, this place where you can indulge in sensual pleasure very handily. And it has the same uh, entrapment potential to it. Uh, and it's true really for anything that we like. We can get entrapped in um, movies, books, any kind of entertainment for the mind. Uh, obviously, things like food, uh, alcohol, uh, any sort of sensuality. If, if, it's, if it's pleasurable, uh, people have gotten themselves into trouble with it. It's just a matter of the way we are as human beings. And so when one inclines one's mind in this sort of way, uh, you end up in this kind of trap where if you try to get rid of it or you try to stop doing it, 
you experience a certain amount of displeasure because of this new absence, this unwanted absence of the pleasure that you like. And that discomfort drives you towards looking for some way out, and the way out seems to be more pleasure. Substance addictions are simply the same phenomena, uh, more powerfully experienced. So sensuality is dangerous in this in this sense. We can't really guarantee that we'll always have access to the things that we like. It's not immoral, but it is potentially problematic, and it doesn't give life any inherent sense of direction or meaning or purpose or value. And so a life spent on sensual pleasures or sensual indulgence will, looking back at that life, will be seen as being empty and futile and not really not very worthy. And so the, uh, uh, the inclination the Buddha suggests is looking at the desire for sensual pleasure as uh, simply a desire that leads in an unwholesome direction, and try to set it aside and substitute maybe something which would be wholesome. And without going to extremes, because uh, the extreme opposite of indulging in sensuality is indulging in self-mortification. And people have been known to do that too. Uh, Because you can get a sense of uh, extreme uh, control, uh, the ability to uh, to tolerate pain that gives you a sense of invulnerability, or at least uh, uh, some kind of superhuman-like superiority. Uh, pain itself can be a source of uh, uh, endogenous endorphins, that these, these neurochemicals that our brain releases under stress, uh, which um, have a... Uh, uh, a natural pain-relieving quality so that the brain doesn't become overstressed and you can actually get addicted to those. So people can get addicted to causing themselves pain. Uh, and just like pleasure, this doesn't go anywhere, and the Buddha pointed this out. It's not evil, uh, but it is um, ignoble in the sense that it doesn't lead anywhere good. And then all the other things that we can indulge, we can, we can incline our minds towards things like uh, simply idle, mental idle chatter, um, mental disliking, uh, arguing with, arguing against, uh, hating upon other people, other situations, dwelling in the past, dwelling in the future, dwelling in fantasy. All these are things that we can use to occupy the mind, keep the mind busy, and give it a certain inclination which doesn't really take us where we want to go. So what we do instead is we watch the mind, and among the welter of things that comes up will be inclinations towards things like kindness, generosity, friendliness, sympathy, forgiveness, restraint, investigation, 
investigation of how the mind works, investigation in the rising and passing away of phenomena, inclination to practice, inclination to understand the, the teaching, the doctrine. All these things would be reckoned as wholesome because they all lead in the same direction towards freedom. The freedom from depending on external circumstances for happiness. This is the, another way of looking at these four noble truths. The noble truth of unsatisfactoriness is simply pointing out that the things that we ordinarily get embroiled with in life, our situation, our life situation, the people that we have, the pleasures that we get out of the various contexts that we have with the world, uh, all the possibilities for becoming that the world seems to offer. So uh, every possible fulfillment of every ambition or desire that we've ever experienced, uh, these are all promptings towards becoming this or becoming that, one thing or another, taking pleasure in the world, finding delight in the world, and pursuing that sort of without reflection. This pursuit of, of the things of the world leads us to be to be find ourselves in all kinds of different situations. And these are all manifestations of becoming. The First Noble Truth is pointing out that all of these different situations that we find ourselves in don't last, and they are not ultimately satisfying. They don't really provide us with any shelter, and they are inherently incapable of yielding satisfaction, a sturdy, reliable satisfaction that we can take with us all through our lives. So this is the unsatisfactory nature of the ordinary way that we, we face the world. And it can be quite extreme. Uh, so if, if you've made the mistake of deeply identifying with your body and holding onto it very tightly and exulting in it and taking pleasure in it and uh, cherishing it and uh, developing feelings of delight and attachment for it, uh, and you've never cross-examined that attitude towards the body, then, of course, when something goes wrong with the body, it's not going to be any fun. It's going to be quite unpleasant. The body gets old, it gets wrinkled, it gets uh, spots on it, uh, hair falls out, muscles get weak, puts on weight too easy, does all kinds of things that you don't want it to do. And... Uh, all your cherishing doesn't change it. It just is the way it is. So it can be a source of great despair, great pain to have taken, uh, taken the wrong track when it comes to how one regards the body. But it does reveal quite clearly this principle of the inherent unsatisfactory nature of, the, of clinging to such things. And that's the point, is that it's not so much that the body's a problem. It really isn't. That's not what causes the, the 
sense of unsatisfactoriness, the sense of displeasure or unhappiness is coming from our clinging to the body, grasping at it, holding to it, our lust for the body, our lust for things. Uh, this is the, really the source because it attaches our mind to these things in an unhelpful way. And when they change and break up, we suffer because of that attachment. So this inclination of the mind that the Buddha is asking us to cultivate, this inclinations towards, towards generosity, towards virtue, towards restraint, towards mindfulness, towards wisdom, towards investigation, these kinds of inclinations of the mind don't generate unhelpful clinging and grasping. And that's part of what makes them so so kind of miraculous in a way. Uh, You can spend many, many, many hours uh, doing investigation of Dhamma, Dhamma Vichaya, as part of your practice of meditation. And those will not generate feelings of unsatisfactoriness due to attachment to Dhamma Vichaya. Dhamma Vichaya is naturally, naturally illuminating. Investigation of how things come to be naturally sheds light on this principle of the mind causing it to self to suffer due to clinging. By threading, by flooding that principle with light, with, with understanding, with with wisdom, um, one is inclined towards not doing it. One doesn't cling. One doesn't grasp. One doesn't take uh, unreflective delight in one's practice or the things that one is doing. But one examines everything with wisdom. And this can be a great sense, great source of, of subtle mental pleasure, subtle mental happiness, a sense of deep contentment, peace and satisfaction. Knowing how things work and knowing that you've not fallen victim to it, the principle of clinging and grasping, causing suffering. <clears throat> to the extent that you're able to free your mind of these things, you experience this sense of freedom, a sense of, of no longer being a slave, no longer being pushed around by this inner wishing for happiness that prompts you to go after the things that you've habitually chased throughout your life. Uh, Pleasure being one of them, but everything from pleasure to uh, familiar situations, familiar relationships, familiar identities, things that we tend to cling to. If you haven't got an alternative, those seem like the only source of happiness on offer. But when you investigate how the mind works and you see this other kind of pleasure, this pleasure of freedom, then there's more room. There's more, uh, there's more possibility. Possibilities you mightn't have imagined before. 
And so this is, uh, in my view, the proper use of a human life. This is the purpose, this is the meaning of life. Uh, you're meant to use your time, your intelligence, your human capacities for inward-looking self-reflection and understanding to abandon the causes of unhappiness and to cultivate the causes of true happiness, wise happiness, freedom, liberation. Ultimately, this yields in what the Buddha calls enlightenment, Nibbana, letting go. Letting go of all the things that cause trouble and abiding in this wise peace, this wise contentment. Dropping the illusion of the potential possibility of happiness in things like getting what you want, sensual pleasure, fulfilling your ambitions, arranging your circumstances just so. Because when you look at those kinds of possibilities from a place of wisdom, what you see is instantaneously you see the futility and the absolutely the absolute impossibility of those things giving you any kind of true happiness. And so your inclination towards them becomes much more balanced, much more wise. Whether you get fully enlightened or not isn't so important. Not really. Because once you set the mind going in this direction, then you're on your way towards something really good, really worthwhile, really uh, beyond the ordinary plane of trouble, troubled happiness that you had before the troubled happiness that most people reckon is the extent of what's on offer in this human life. This, this good direction uh, has a certain sense of, of well, goodness to it, of wholesomeness, of worthiness, of nobility. Mm. And uh, one wakes up in the morning feeling that One's life is really worth living. It's really worthwhile to live a life in which at least some portion, some percentage of your time is devoted to this direction and that you feel yourself to actually be going in this direction. And that's enough to give you the kind of happiness that allows you to feel at ease, comforted, able to deal with whatever trouble life throws at you. Because behind it all, you're headed in this good direction. You're using your life in a worthwhile way. Looking back on practice like this, you look back with a smile on your face, a feeling of having done something really good. And it doesn't feel pointless, empty, and worthless the way a life spent on something like sensual pleasure or grasping ambition or 
idle chatter would feel. As we leave 2019 and we proceed into 2020, I offer this reflection on uh, Dharma principles and the idea of using the life that you've been given, this precious human life, in the most skillful way that we can. I'll leave that for your consideration. Sadhu Karanga Dhamma Say. Sadhu Karanga Dhamma Say.